Hey, chickadees, it's Di. This episode discusses consent, rape, and suicide. If you need to skip this episode, we completely understand. We love you and we hear you. Until next time. Ladies, this is our time, and it's time to unburden ourselves of unrealistic expectations, including our own. The veneer we see in the media is often not just false, it's unhealthy. And frankly, some of it is just total bullshit. This is Chick Shit, a podcast that goes far beyond tropes, bringing you gritty realness about real-life experiences of today's woman. LJ and I break it down, right here, right now. Welcome to Chick Shit. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite weekly podcast, Chick Shit with LJ and I, uh, where every week we pick a topic that women, and let's face it, probably everybody else deals with too. Uh, We pick a media source that covers that topic, and we talk about what the media source got really, really right and what the media source got really, really wrong. As always, I pick the drinks, Di picks the topics. Di, what are we talking about? Today, we are talking about consent, as in, I don't want the fucking Sprite. And the movie that we're using to break down this topic is Promising Young Woman. What are we drinking to go along with this topic? We are having, are you ready? Coke Zero, because I have zero patience for the fact that consent still needs to be explained. Mm -hmm. And that's the burden that's on women, men too, mostly women. Mm -hmm. And for our dear friends, here's a little ASMR. And also we can't stop yawning. So I really needed a Coke (laughs) Z. I usually have coffee while we record because man, uh, shit, that's fresh. Whew. Oh yeah. Um, so exciting announcement that I don't know if I told you yet, but I'm going to tell you right now um, because you will need to change how you address me. I need to change my uh, email signature. I need to add it to my LinkedIn. Shout it from the rooftops. I am now a part owner of an NFL football team. So say what? Yes, the the Green Bay Packers, How are as you? they say in France, uh, is the only football team that is not owned by a rich white man. Well, there are some people that are not white, so that is not owned by one mega rich person and stayed in their family for years. It is owned by the fans. They did their third stock offering, three in the entirety of the life of the Green Bay Packers, and I bought in. So I can now, if I want to, go to owner meetings and vote on shit. So yes, I am a part owner of an NFL team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please address me as such. Did you buy that with your Delta black card? Sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Trying to get that Delta upgrade. (laughs) What do shares go for? What's a share? 
So these are like non literally it's to say you're a part owner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay. So because they don't have any like rich family that's just like, yeah, build a new concourse. Here's $70 million, like MBD. Um, And they don't have like, it's not Mercedes Benz stadium or, you know, something like that. It is fully owned by the fans in Brown County. They let you be a part owner. And then all the money from the stock sale is going to go to add additional seating, redo the concourse, redo um, the atrium. But because technically every share makes you a part owner, they have to get everything approved by the NFL. So they were finally able to get it approved. And now you may refer to me as LJ, co-owner of the Green Bay Packers. But how much was it? What was the share cost? I mean, let's not discuss it. (laughs) That's fine. I mean, I sold my car and a (laughs) kidney, but (laughs) Aaron Rodgers pretty much answers to me now. And we're going to have some discussions about his life choices. I was going to say, maybe you should really talk to him for a minute. Uh, A.A. Ron, the next time that you are making a life decision, call me instead of Joe. Thank you woof because some <laughs> things he's been doing woof double woof 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 now all i can think of is uh double uh uh you know what i'm talking about i do mm-hmm. i do know what you're talking about well that's exciting so yeah. is it gonna be spicy regards lj packers oh lj packers owner co-owner co-owner mm-hmm. okay but and you're keeping spicy pick. regards for sure. And then a dick pic. You could use my carrot picture from last night. <laughs> I did have a very phallic shaped baby carrot that I sent. No, you I figure of. if I'm putting an NFL co-owner in, I can get away with anything. <laughs> that's, that's how that works, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I would argue that some of our NFL owners have more power than like some actual politicians and sure in the country. So or yes. fucking sure. You can at least wait get- a second. Let's quote our girls five. Sure. <laughs> you could get by with a phallic shaped, um, vegetable, I think as a For co-owner, sure. if you are like an owner owner, you could probably do a natural dick pic, but if you yeah. are a co-owner and thinking like you need something phallic shaped where it's not the implication of a dick. Yeah. The implication, not an actual dick. dick. Fair, Correct. fair, fair, fair. I yeah, can't yeah, go yeah. full blown until I have the whole team. <laughs> full-blown <laughs> <laughs> life goals I mean you gotta have them um yeah a hundred percent NFL owners get away with more than literally anyone I mean look at the Washington football team owner and got owners NFL players oh. the list goes on when like- you listen when you look at Jerry Jones the owner of the Dallas Cowboys I know who yeah Okay. Oh yeah. You're from Texas, you know? Well, I know. You look at Jerry too. Jones. Yes. Okay. Do you fully believe that he's still alive? Cause I think he may have died about eight years ago <laughs> and there's somebody just pulling him around on strings. Could be a little puppet puppeteer. Who knows? Who knows? <sighs> it's a wild, wild and crazy time we're living in. Uh, anyways, I will be in green Bay, Wisconsin 
in middle of December to see my beloved team that I co-own play the Chicago Bears. Do you think they're going to give you intro music? Like, are you going to be able to walk in as a new owner? And I mean, I like feel like intro? I think I'm leading the team out of the tunnel. I thought that's what I heard. Just yeah. wanted to confirm it and see if that was still on. I And I think this episode is going to get released like the Wednesday before I fly there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, we'll, we'll update you. I think I get to hold the giant flag with the G on it and lead mm-hmm. everybody out. Yeah. I and then I actually am going to play quarterback. Second, third. <laughs> See, the trick is I'm so much smaller than everyone on the field. I'll just be a slippery little, little hot potato. Oh, man. Anyways, I think I'm done. That's all of my news. I'm an NFL co-owner. I'm leaning the team out of the tunnel. I am now Green Bay Packers quarterback and Aaron Rodgers' newest doctor. What else do you need to know? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I feel like a very small portion of our audience is going to understand any of that because football, but I'm excited. I'm excited for you. How long are you going to be there with your family? That's like a very special moment in family it is. experience. So, and just like, just to have a moment, I adore my family. We have not always been on the best of terms, but the one thing that no matter what was happening, we all came together for was Green Bay Packers football. Mm-hmm. So even if it was just once a week during football season, like that's kind of the glue that held us together through some rough patches. Mm-hmm. And I have been to take the tour and I went during preseason so I could like watch them practice, but I've never been to an actual game at Lambeau field. My brother has been to an actual game at Lambeau field. My dad who grew up two hours South, of the stadium has never been Aww, so like this is so 100% exciting. positive he's gonna cry and I'm gonna it's gonna be a moment we're gonna have a moment it's a big deal and then we fly in on a Friday and we're gonna have dinner with like all of our Wisconsin cousins that Wisconsin our Wisconsin don't you know we're going to Wisconsin we're gonna have dinner we're gonna eat all the cheese curds we're going to drink the beer. Don't you know? Don't you know? We're going to have Sorry. Snickers and apple salad. Don't I, you know? What? <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had it. I hate Snickers. I mean, I'll eat them, but like, you that's like not my Reese's candy of choice. Cups. I get it. I like Reese cups. Reese's. And you like pine combs. So come at me. <laughs> oh my God. My tree has pine cones on it. <laughs> But we're going to get to have dinner with like all of my cousins that we haven't seen in forever in a day. Yeah, I yeah, am yeah. going to the Trader Joe's in Milwaukee because they sell the Trader Joe's brand liquor. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we'll take it off air. If you want something, I'm going to take a larger suitcase than I need so I can check it on the way home. You know what I'm saying? Secret time. I'm going to put liquor in it. <laughs> Nobody tell TSA. <laughs> it's within the same country. It should be fine. I'm just saying, I don't want TSA getting in there and being like, oh, Trader Joe's has liquor. I'll take that. <laughs> this seems like it's against the rules. This is mine now. 
yeah, that I've heard rave reviews about. So, and then we're going to go to the, go to the Packers game. That'll be great. I'm very excited for that for you. I'm going to blow up your phone. Oh, most importantly, so sorry. One more thing. Christy with a K and I get to go to a tree lighting, like a big ass tree lighting. And we're going to have a hot beverage with uh, liquor in it. I mean, I I feel like that's assumed. Is she going to wear the green coat or are you going to wear the green coat? She got a yellow coat because so we're going yellow and green because Green Bay. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So she got a yellow coat because that's her favorite color. And I have the green coat because that's what Costco has on sale. It's going to be, all, we did get matching leopard print hats. Cute. We're ready. Anyways, we're ready. I don't know if I'm ready for this topic. I don't think you have choice. Would you like the Sprite? <sighs> I don't want the fucking Sprite. Well, you're going to drink it anyways. Let's oh. go. Nothing in Cassie's life is what it appears to be. She's wickedly smart, tantalizingly cunning, and she's living a secret double life by night. Now, an unexpected encounter is about to give Cassie a chance to right the wrongs from the past. So opening scene of this movie, we see a young woman in a club who appears to be completely inebriated And there are a few guys watching her from a table from afar, making a joke of like, what a mess she is. That would be an easy one to take home, et cetera. One of the guys, Adam Brody, walks over to Cassandra, the woman who is seemingly drunk as fuck, and asks her if he can help her get her home. She doesn't even know where her phone is. She doesn't even know how she's going to get home. So on the ride in the Uber to her home, he is starting to come on to her, asking the Uber driver if he can change the drop-off spot to his apartment that's close by, ask her up for a drink, even though she can't even remember her own name or see. Even though she's got her head out the window trying not to puke. And he takes her up to his apartment, sits her down on the couch, pours her a drink. She can't even drink it for how inebriated she appears to be. And he starts kissing her, telling her she's so beautiful. She can barely, she's not even kissing back. She's just holding her lips there. He picks her up, takes her to his bedroom, lays her on the bed, prevents her from falling asleep and continues to proceed to pull her underwear down. And as he gets to the bottom of pulling her underwear down, she says, well, the whole time he's doing it after he's laid her down, she's like, please, I want to go home. Please stop. Like slurring. Like she's super drunk. After he pulls her underwear all the way down at the entire time he's doing this, she's asking, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? She's not saying yes, 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 yes. She's saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? And By the time he gets her underwear fully down, she sits upright in bed, now takes off the act that she's not actually in fact drunk and says, what are you doing? Pretty intense beginning of the movie. So Cassie has taken 
like she leads kind of a double life during the day. She's definitely experienced some trauma. She works at a coffee shop. She lives with her parents. She dropped out of med school. She works at a coffee shop with Laverne Cox. Yeah, she does. Girl. At night, she sets, I don't even want to say sets guys up, kind of does, but they, you know, she appears, she plays this double role where she's drunk or she's intoxicated or does that's the same thing or, you know, on drugs or something to where the point Mm -hmm. that to the point to where no one should be assuming that she's able to have the capacity to consent. Bingo. Uh, unless you're in Minnesota and then it doesn't matter. Yeah. So it, it just depends. So there are so many laws that are so different throughout the United States of what it means to be, uh, like what the legal role that consent plays. There's like no single definition Mm -hmm. of what consent is in law. Each state has its own definition, um, which is insanity, insanity. There are three ways that states have analyzed consent as it relates to sexual acts. So you've got affirmative consent, which is did the person actually express overt actions or words indicating agreement for a sexual act there's freely given consent so was the consent offered during a person's own free will without being induced by fraud coercion violence or threat of violence and then if they have the capacity to consent so did the individual have the capacity or the legal ability depending on someone's age as well to consent there are definitely more that go in, you know, we'll go into more yeah. of the consent model, but that's kind of the three areas that states have started to standardize. But as we've talked about with Minnesota on a previous episode, some states are not so clear on the capacity, what that means. And a lot of laws don't support the victim and actually do more victim blaming than um, victim protection. I mean, there's people in prison right now for weed for way longer than people who have been, who have raped women and sexually assaulted women who have a lot of money and have really good lawyers. So they just get a slap on the wrist and get to go on living their life. Cause who would want to ruin a young man's life? a promising young man, which we will get to later in this film. What did you think about this scene? Is this, did this experience resonate with you in any way? So thankfully, and also by some miracle from how much I, I drank in my younger years and put myself in situations where I am genuinely shocked something like that did not happen to me due to drinking or being under the influence of something. I've never been put in that position, but I know people who have, we saw it and we discussed it on a previous episode when we used 13 reasons why, and we saw one of the girls absolutely drunk out of her mind and someone take advantage of that situation and the impact that had on her. Um, So for me personally, no. For people that I'm very close with that I know, yes. And 
I don't know how many ways that we can say it, but it doesn't matter what state a person is in, if they did drugs, if they drank, if they are running through the quad streaking because everybody's doing it, they volunteered to do only that and nothing more. It does make you terrified of what can happen. You know, I don't remember like making sure your drink's always close to you so that nobody slips anything in it. Like if you are out with just yourself and a girlfriend, always having a buddy system, if Mm -hmm. you are leaving a place like there's so many things that we have adjusted as protection mechanisms, even though we shouldn't have to, we are in constant fear that something is going to happen. That's the reason why at night we walk with our car keys between our hands, or you run at the park with a knife in your bra. Like we are constantly living in this world of fear and vulnerability that we shouldn't have to do. And I think that that's so often because, I mean, it's the world we're living in, but the world we're living Mm -hmm. in never really points the blame on the men. Like we don't call out the abuser. Mm -hmm. We call out the victim. And so if the emphasis is always put on the victim rather than the abuser, there's no one to hold accountable for their actions. Yeah. And I know I've talked to you about this before, but I have such a fear about like, obviously I run and I bike. And a lot of times I have to do that alone Mm -hmm. because everybody's schedule is busy. I am constantly, whether I'm out on the bike or I'm out on a run, I am constantly looking at what's around me, looking at somewhere, could a person hide behind that bush? Could like always kind of looking at the ground in front of me because I saw one Criminal Minds episode years ago where somebody used a tripwire on a runner in a park and that ain't gonna be me. Your girl ain't going down. I'm constantly looking at what's around me that I could use as a weapon. I'm constantly aware of where the nearest places are that I could run to for help or shelter. Like something that should be a relaxing, like therapeutic experience, you know, getting out in nature, using your body, getting your heart rate up is exhausting. It takes a lot of spoons. It does. I I think about how, how vulnerable I am when I am out for my pod walks too. So it, I feel you get more you a knife and start hiding it in different in my, crevices <laughs> and my tates. I feel more comfortable doing pod walks, even though these things can happen at all times of day, um, m- more before this daylight savings time change, like for it whatever reason so it, it does. And it's like, I've kind of shifted my pod walks again, protection mm-hmm. to be during my lunchtime. So that like, you know, I'm not leaving myself open to vulnerability. Not that I think I'm in like an, a bad, you know, a non non-safe yeah. neighborhood, but like shit happens. It happens everywhere. So just the fact that we constantly have to be thinking about that is exhausting. It is. And do you think men ever go for a run and think, Hey, somebody could hide behind that bush or like, I need to watch out for tripwires. Or if somebody was coming after me, what could I protect myself with right now? I don't think so. I'd have to ask, maybe we do a poll. Um, because I do, we have a few male listeners, but like, mm -hmm. 
I don't think it's that constant fear like we have. It it might relate to, you know, an experience that they had that they actually had that they've become more uh aware of, but I don't think it's a constant It's as fear. universal yeah. as it is with women. Yeah, I don't I mean in a lot of ways you know, even when Matt and I play wrestle and things like that, I realize like how not strong I am Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, being able to protect myself or push someone off or like, I'm not like it, it's, it's fun to play Russell, but then you, there's a daunting part of you. That's like, Oh shit. I, if this was real, like I would be fucking screwed. That's why you put a knife in your bra. See how, (laughs) see how much fun Matt has wrestling you then. You can just get one of like those Halloween knives that's retractable. Yeah. Just let them know it's a possibility. What I don't understand with this opening scene is she is so not there. How is this sexy? How is any guy turned on by that? Like they're not, she's not even coherent. She's not responsive. How is that sexy? Because How- it has nothing to do with her and everything to do with him. Mm. It's either a a kink, which I'm usually very supportive of kinks, but if your kink is taking advantage of women who are not in the right mind to consent, not cool, not okay. It's either a kink that he likes knowing that there's no way they can fight back or just a like, hey, I want to put my dick in something and this hole can't fight me right now, so let's do it. (sighs) What I think is also interesting, we see a few of these, these scenarios. It's a common thing. She keeps a little notebook under her, her bed of the amount of time she's, she's done this. She's keeping tallying marks of the amount of times like men have tried to take advantage of her as she's doing this double life. And one of the guys that she does this with after she, she makes him realize that she's been cognizant the whole time is like, wait, 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 wait. I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice, I'm a nice guy who just rubbed cocaine into your gums while I thought you were too drunk to know what was happening because I thought you were going to pass out before I could put my dick in you. Mm -hmm. So nice. I mean, cocaine is expensive. So it's sweet that he was willing to share, but like he still should have waited for consent. Literally, sometimes I just say things to see you get exasperated. And that was one of them. The payoff was worth it. Oh, no. (laughs) So we find out that Cassie dropped out of med school. She had a close friend named Nina, who Nina was raped by- Brutally. Brutally raped. Uh, by a lot of men watching and observing this, took it up to admissions and reported it. Nothing nothing ever happens to her attacker, Alexander Monroe, but she ends up falling to pieces and taking her own life because it was so damaging. And Cassie was really good friends with Nina, witnessed all this happen happening you know, 
experienced that trauma of her friend taking her life own life because of this and has a lot of shit that she's dealing with and has not worked through, has not gotten past anything like that. So she's living at home with her parents. She's working at the coffee shop with Laverne Cox. And one day, one of her old classmates comes in and uh, recognizes her, asks, you know, why she dropped out of college or what she's doing working at a coffee shop because she was just really top of her class at medical school. And they end up going on a date together. Guy is seemingly nice, kind of pushes things a little bit too quickly for her when he, at the end of the first date, asked her to come back up to his apartment. He does ask. So there is, you know, consent. She says no um, ish. At first she was like, yeah, we can go up, but she, you can tell she's not actually giving, um, not comfortable with it. And you can tell that she's very, very traumatized by anything sexual. So things are going to have to go slower with her. Um, and she sets that expectation with him. That scene was very upsetting to me because that has happened to me where you're having a good time, innocent, like eating junk food, drinking Coke, like walking around, cracking jokes, blah, blah, blah. And like the second you start to feel like, okay, this is not a dirt bag. Like this is a nice person. It's like they can sense your guard has been let down. And then whoop, let me take this opportunity to put you in a situation where as a woman, you've been raised to be accommodating and you don't want to be rude and you don't want to uh, seem like you're prudish or uppity or whatever. So I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to be wildly uncomfortable and feel inclined to just go with it. So you don't upset anyone. So that's, that's a weird line with manipulation because it does feel manipulative and, and maybe it's not, maybe some guys are just like free flowing, go with the flow or, or, you know, whoever. Um, and they're like, you know, if it ends up being sexual, that's great. It, but to like put someone in an uncomfortable situation is a lot of manipulation. And so that's a tough line where you kind of like, as a woman, if you say yes, you've implied that you're okay with everything that's going to happen when you go in there. No, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, I guess what I'm saying is like you go inside and then it goes, he asks if you want to go to the bedroom or wherever, and you say yes. And that is like, you're saying yes. And they're hearing yes. And if you were like, that's that line of like, if you regret it later and you felt like, I probably shouldn't have, but you still said yes. Like you said yes. And like, how else are they like actually said yes. Like, yeah. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, where you're like, mm, I probably wouldn't have done that, but you told him, yeah, I'm good with that. Like, that's you're consenting mm-hmm. as uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? I do. Okay. I do. I do. It's, I hate being a woman. I just <laughs> want to be a tree. I just want to be a tree. I want to give air back. I want to be beautiful colors in the fall. But what, what you're saying though, about saying yes to coming inside does not mean you are saying yes to having any sort of sexual, like to anything else. All you're saying is yes to coming inside. That is all you're consenting to if you come inside. At that point, 
she, at that point, you're in a position of you've said yes to going inside, even though you really didn't want to, because you didn't want to be rude or upset anyone. And as a girl, we're raised to be accommodating. And then once you're inside, if another question comes, then it's like, well, I'm going to make it so much worse if I don't just say yes to this, because why did I come up here if I wasn't going to be down for what was going to happen up here? It's a black hole. This is why I don't leave my house. (laughs) So maybe we should, you know, as women figure out better ways to feel confident in saying no. Listen, to quote Karen in Georgia from my favorite murder, fuck politeness. Yeah, just, well, that's what I'm saying. Like Mm -hmm. find ways to say, no, fuck that. No, I don't want to. Or like if you're- Well, I don't even think it's finding a way to say that. I think it's retraining our brain to know that you do not have to be accommodating. If you don't feel safe- Yes, yes. You feel out of sorts in any way, or even if you just don't want to do it. Just say no. Or- You get to walk away. You get to, yeah, I, I guess it's that. It's not just say no. It's not only that it's say it's don't say yes. If you mean no, like don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to say yes. That is not a thing. You don't have to, you don't have to be accommodating like no, no, that. Yeah. yeah that's what I, and mean. I think that's like a that's retraining getting, yeah. our collective female brains that we do not need to accommodate anyone at all. Yes. Because even going back to where we, you know, where we came up with, I don't want the Sprite. I saw you visibly uncomfortable as a guy continued to push you to hang out longer, do more things. And you, you felt the, you felt that inherent nature to be accommodating. And I said, no, for you, like you said, no, a couple of times on a few things, but you went into that accommodating nature when I could tell you were very uncomfortable. Yes. And then where you try to make excuses for why you're saying no. So it doesn't seem like you're just saying no. You're saying no, because I would love to do it, but I've got to do this other thing or like, but I'm really busy or, but I have right. this. It doesn't matter. You don't owe anyone an explanation for why you are saying no. You don't. And I remember, you know, in that instance in particular, we that was told one this of guy, the more uncomfortable situations I've been in, in my life. You told this guy like, no, I don't want to hang out any longer. We had our lunch and we're done. Uh, And he kept saying, no, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, like over and over. And then you felt the need to say, no, I think we need to take a nap before I'm really tired. Like that shouldn't have to be a thing. Shame on him for continuing to push after repeated no's. And then we've got to be more empowered just to say, no, no. And I don't owe you an excuse and I don't owe you any reasoning for why I'm saying no. My answer is no. Fuck politeness. Fuck politeness. And also call your dad. You're in a cult. (laughs) Sorry. Now I'm just throwing out my favorite murder quotes. Okay. Don't go into the forest and lock the fucking door. Okay. I'm done. Okay. Derail dollar. All, All all great, great advice though. I stand by it all. But what if the forest has cute animals? It's a decision you got to make. <laughs> do you want to be alive or do you want to pet a fuzzy bunny? I mean, how cute is the bunny? <laughs> Depends. Am I going to get murdered happy? Because maybe. <laughs> so after Cassie meets this guy from med school, she finds out that 
Al Monroe, who was the attacker and abuser of her friend Nina, is thriving in life. He is a doctor. He's getting married to the love of his life. And he gets to live and have this wonderful life, even though he's done horrible, unforgivable things. He didn't get punished. And so this ignites something in, in Cassie to shift her double life at night with random strangers to be more targeted at specific people that were involved in the unfortunate abuse that uh, her friend Nina experienced. The first person that she targets is an old classmate, Madeline, who was at the school at the time of the attack, um, was a very much a victim blamer and non-believer, and I think contributed to some of the unbelievability that was spread as well. So during this lunch, Cassandra appears to be drunk again. She's not. Madeline does get actually drunk and starts, you know, having conversations with Cassie about Cassie starts having conversations with her about like what happened and rehashing what happened to Nina and Madeline victim blames Nina and says, and whenever slut shames her at the same time, victim blames her slut shames her says it's all her fault. So Cassandra actually sets Madeline up to where she pays a guy at the bar to take Madeline to a hotel room as she's intoxicated and then leave her there. And Madeline has no recollection of what actually happened. She just knows she woke up in a hotel room. Now, nothing did actually happen, but it was just the realization of Madeline that she opened herself up to her own the shit that she was preaching, she was a victim to. So like she mm-hmm. was preaching, don't, get, don't get yourself in those situations. Don't cry wolf, blah, blah, blah. And she opened herself up to that exact same vulnerability and you know, shit, shit went down or didn't, but sort of. Has that ever, not that specifically, but have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've like told someone, well, if you wouldn't have done this and this wouldn't have happened or like you put yourself in the position or you set yourself up and then found yourself going through the same thing and been like, I get it now. Yeah, I get it. Get it. Got it. Uh, Not that I can recall. I just remember being preached at so much growing up, like not specifically for my parents, but I think just a societal thing to like abstinence. No, not even that. I'm sorry. No. Um, like not getting yourself drunk into like compromising positions, even though it's not your fault and guys can get drunk and they don't have those same sorts of talks where it's like, don't go get drunk. You might get raped. (laughs) Like that's terrible, but like guys don't get that. I mean, that's the reality that same. It's always like, girls watch yourselves, watch your back. And I think that fear is like continuously don't dress provocatively because if you dress provocatively, you're sexualizing yourself and you're asking for it. Yes. Yes. It's all that sort of shit. Like you're asking for it. You're asking for it. You're asking for it. Like that was guys never asking for it. You know, they were never taught to change their behavior, change the way they dress, change how they conduct themselves to not ask for it. 
oh, I'm getting mad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, it's, it's just getting angry over here because it's <laughs> like in this, in the fight for like equality, we talk about so much. We talk about jobs. We talk about salaries. We talk about, you know, how hard women had to fight to vote, uh, just all of these things. But there is so much more that women have to go through day in and day out that there's no way to quantify. There's no way to march for, hey, my shoulders are not sexual. <laughs> I'll start that rally with you. <laughs> the march for sexy shoulders. It's not a, like there, there's no school that's going to tell a guy like, mm, can't show your calves because those girls will be wet and wild. Did I it doesn't tell- exist. Did I tell you about the time at when I worked for one of the first companies I ever worked for that I was wearing a sleeveless top? I was, you know, and they were like, ma'am, you can't bring guns in the office. My boss, (laughs) she had this shawl at her desk that she made me put around my shoulders. Anywhere in the dress code, did it say no? Yeah, that happened. It was it, like, it was, it wasn't like a spaghetti strap, a halter top. I mean, again, who fucking cares? But it was yeah. like, it was, it was just a regular sleeveless shirt. Like a little, you know, like. Like high- a man Taylor loft tank. Yeah. 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 I, wear, <laughs> I know I wear them to the, well, back in the day when I went to the office, I wear sleeveless shirts to the office all the time. Yeah. Like she made me put a shawl around I can't and then ma'am I did not consent to the shawl I don't want the fucking shawl and then I was wearing a pencil skirt this same boss I was wearing a pencil skirt down to my knees girl can't help she's got a booty and like she told me about the skirt too like maybe you need to wear a different type of skirt I'm like what do you mean? Maybe people's eyes don't need to be directed at like, My maybe they should, they should be w- focusing on work. Like I have every right to dress nice. Pencil skirts are normal business attire. It's a power suit. It's a power suit. You like, get you a matching blazer and you're the CEO just automatically. It's how yeah. that works. I don't make the rules. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm going to say this and know that I don't have any like majorly distinguishing features of my body. I did previously. I had them chopped off. I don't have big boobs. I don't have a big butt. Like, so that's not something that I have ever had to deal with. I would be distraught if someone came up to me and was like, you need to cover that up or like you maybe dress different. I would literally be weeping. I would quit immediately and never show oh, my face. I there was, again. I was ashamed of myself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would be like, this is my fault. Yeah. That's immediately this what is my I fault. I've done something into. wrong. I was 22 years old. First job out of college, not sure what to expect in the corporate world and immediately shut down as in I did something wrong, which clearly that's bullshit. 30 year old. You were like, too fly for that company. Oh, 31 year old me. Yes. Two fly for that company now, but no, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Woof. No, Woof. you never told me about that. That's. Ugh. 
Yeah. And I mean, so moving on in the movie, one of the people that Cassie goes to visit is like the Dean of admissions who listen, I need Connie Brynn to stop taking such questionable roles in films. (laughs) It's really starting to upset me. I know. Yeah. Connie Britton. Wow. So she's the, uh, uh, you know, the Dean dean at the medical school that the issue was raised up to that she apparently investigated and she said that women can't open themselves up to these vulnerabilities and, and said that she ruined a young man's life every time one of these accusations was made. Which happened one to two times a week. Then maybe you need I to change the fucking can't. culture at your university. Maybe I, if you are having accusations once to twice a week, what does that say about the environment that you've created and are continuing to let exist one to two times a week? You know, med schools aren't giant. They're elite small classes of, of people. Really fucking smart people. <laughs> right. One to two times a week. Well, another thing that got me during that conversation is she sat down and she said, do you remember my friend Nina? And she was like, no, you know, did she go to school here? Um, and then she told her what happened and she was like, well, did she talk to anyone? And she said, yes, she did. And Connie Britton went, well, who did she talk to? And got her pen out like she was going to. And Cassie said, she talked to you. So like how numb is she to these accusations that she can't even remember who she's talked to or how she's investigated it but she assured her that at that time she had thoroughly investigated it right even though she couldn't remember who it was and then asked how is your friend doing is she doing well and cassie was like no she's not she's dead and then her tricksy trick on her was she picked her daughter up from school and took her phone and tricked her into thinking she was going to like a music video shoot or something. And then when she's sitting in the office in front of Connie Britton, she was like, by the way, I just picked your daughter up from school. Beautiful young woman. I dropped her off at the same room that the things that happened to Nina happened in and introduced her to those guys. And you can see Connie Britton, Dean Walker, whatever her name is, just immediately get into like, fearful like I have to go save my child mode and it's like okay so when your child's in that position it's a fucking problem but when other women are in that position we don't want to ruin a young man's life I so what what she's getting at to what Dean Britton is getting at that again (laughs) Dean Britton. Dean Britton. (laughs) I see what I did. What, (laughs) (laughs) what, what she, what she's saying by opening up yourselves to vulnerability is obviously bullshit, but that boils down to what it means to have capacity to consent. And so I pulled these from rain, what capacity to consent are. So let's just talk through these briefly. So obviously age is a capacity to consent that does vary state to state. 
Most of them are 17. Some of them are 18. Some states are a little younger at 16, but that can be a factor in someone's obviously mental maturity to be able Mm -hmm. to consent. Then we've got development developmental uh, disabilities. So if there's, you know, some form of, you know, mental incapacitation, this one mentions a traumatic brain, brain injury or something like that. Obviously that would affect someone's ability to consent. Intoxication is affects someone's capacity to consent. Physical disability also uh, prevents someone's capacity to consent. Relationship of the victim to the perpetrator. So if that perpetrator is in some sort of position of authority, like a teacher, correctional officer, et cetera. I hope that this one goes without mentioning, but unconsciousness is a capacity. It, I mean, it doesn't go without mentioning. It, it doesn't. It, it for it, sure it doesn't. Should. It should. It a hundred percent should. And then not. Finally, vulnerable adults. So, you know, if there's someone who's elderly or ill, that can also affect someone's capacity to consent. So none of these are opening yourself up. None of these say I've put myself in this position and therefore I, you know, I, it's, it's on me. I was asking for it because I, I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't using the preventative measure. None of that, like, no. I was trying to see if I could pull up a list of states with similar laws to like Minnesota. You can, Um, if you go to rain, there's a link. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I need to be aware of that to know which states I will not be patronizing bars in. But um, one of the other things that when she was at lunch with Madeline, one of the things that Madeline said was, you know how many blackouts there were. It was just one blackout after another. If there's one blackout after another, is that not a potential issue? Absolutely. Would you not be concerned that like people's drinks were getting tampered with and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Which does get brought up later in the film, but I digress. Uh, Dean Britton let us down. She let Nina down. She let women everywhere down. In real life, Connie Britton does not let women down. But she needs to stop taking these terrible roles. So I do want us to call out that when we say consent, we mean enthusiastic consent. And so enthusiastic consent is just uh, you are looking for the presence of a yes rather than the absence of a no. So just because someone doesn't say no does not indicate consent. A person has to say yes in some manner. There has to be a presence of a yes to indicate uh, enthusiastic consent. I now, when I hear enthusiastic consent, I'm picturing like confetti cannons and like like <laughs> but poppers. That's not what it means. It doesn't. I mean- know, I know, I know. But in my head, that's be, not what it means. It could be yes. It can be, you know, yes. I don't know. Ooh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mine's uh, just going to be confetti oh, cannons. Yeah. <laughs> be Kool-Aid Man. Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I was going Kool-Aid Man, but we were Wait, on Hold on. Slim I'm going to do Roy Kent. Oi. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, sorry, uh, yeah. we're Ted Lasso fans, chickadees. <laughs> 
So yes, any of those, it can be any of those variations. It can be yes. Um, but yeah, enthusiastic consent. We talked about what enthusiastic consent is. I also want to talk about what consent does not look like. So consent does not look like refusing to acknowledge a no. So if someone says no and you just keep persisting, i.e. I don't want the fucking version. A partner who is disengaged, non-responsive, or visibly upset, assuming that wearing certain clothes, flirting, or kissing is any invitation for anything more. We talked about that earlier. Someone Mm -hmm. being under the legal age of consent as defined by the state. And then someone being incapacitated. And finally, assuming you have permission to engage in a sexual act because you've done it in the past. So just because you said yes before does not give someone the right to proceed forward and you say no and they keep going. Um, You don't say yes and they keep going. So make that known because I think it's important when we talk about enthusiastic yes, where this really- there's confetti. Clearly. Maybe some streamers. Sorry, I'm getting kicked off this podcast today. Continue. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. No more confetti jokes. Where this becomes important is when we think about fight, flight, or freeze. I mean, I can attest to that. So someone freezing, they're not saying no. They're not saying yes. So someone freezing because that is a natural response to these sorts of things is not consent. So that's why that, why it's really important that we say an enthusiastic yes. With confetti. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. No. Um, and that, that is, uh, what happened to me, my fight, fight, flight or freeze kicked in and I froze. And someone entered my body that I did not consent to, but because your brain has mechanisms built in to protect you and dissociate and do all these fun things that you then get to go to therapy for, for decades, the fear, your fear response is the best thing we can do right now is freeze, not say anything, not do anything. As soon as this ends, get out. And That is why no answer is not a yes. No answer is get the fuck away. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. No, thank y'all. No soup for you. I could keep going, but I'll stop. So we see this movie montage that there's always time for of Cassie falling in love with her pediatric uh, doctor boyfriend, who's such a lovely- person blah 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 well then madeline comes back and shows up at her house looking like she has been struggling with what happened to her uh after the drunken lunch hotel situation and says i keep all my own phones for picture or all my old phones for pictures or whatever and there was a video of that night and it was sent around don't ever contact me again here it is of Nina so, getting attacked. Mm-hmm. So we see Cassie. We don't see the video, obviously, but we see Cassie's reaction to the video of her friend being brutally raped. 
in front of what sounds like a very large group of people. Um, she hears a familiar voice in it. So she heads on over to the hospital to go see pediatric doctor boyfriend and says, what do you remember from that night? And kind of gives him the opportunity to come clean. And he's like, Mom, nothing, blah, blah, blah. We are kids, this, that, and the other. And then she shows him the video and says, that's you. And he again is like, you have to forgive me. I was just a kid. Like I did, none of us knew what we were doing this, that, and the other, you have to forgive me. And so she stone cold says, tell me where Alexander Monroe's bachelor party is, or I will send this video to everyone in your contact list. And he tells her where the bachelor party is and she leaves and she goes to the bachelor party in a naughty nurse outfit and a rainbow wig with a plan. Yeah. She gets everybody intoxicated. She pretends to be the stripper for the party, gets everybody intoxicated and then says she needs to take the groom up to the room, which of course all the friends are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she takes him up to the room. He's drunk. She handcuffs him to the bed. And then she lets him know who she is, that her friend was Nina, the woman he attacked and raped brutally. And he starts freaking out. And she is trying to brand him with a knife with Nina's name on his body cut into him. And he freaks out. And as we mentioned, when you think about the strength of someone, he's much stronger than her. So even though he's handcuffed, he proceeds to fight back to not have her cut him. And he ends up smothering her with a pillow until she dies. And this scene, when Matt and I watch this, I, I can't say that a scene has affected me as much as this particular scene has in countless movies and televisions that I, television shows that I've ever seen. Um, I think that there's something about the power that he has over her, how terrifying that is. With one arm handcuffed to a bed frame. And how realistic the scene was too, because in so many movies, when you see a smothering scene, it's like three seconds of a pillow and it's done. You don't, you don't actually see someone fighting continuously fighting over and over to escape it. And she fought until she took her last breath. And I don't know how else to describe that scene, but I've just never, I've never seen it to that degree. And I've never been so terrified for a fictional character in a movie before, like I was for her in that instance. I love horror movies, love seeing ghosties and like, stuff getting attacked, but nothing was more terrifying than seeing that scene, knowing that that is a very real possibility as a woman to be completely overpowered. The one thing about that scene that 
when she first goes up there and he figures out what's happening and he's screaming for his friends, she says, they're all asleep by now. You remember how easy it is to slip something extra in the drinks? Mm. Mm-mm. No. And then Schmidt from the new girl comes up and is like, don't worry, buddy. Nothing happened. She was never here. Let's just get rid of it. Let's cover up this body and try to burn it. And you know, you can't burn bodies like that. If you listen to any true crime podcast, you can't burn a body like that. You can't You have to keep the fire too hot for too long. No run of the mill bonfire is going to do what they implied it did. No. And it still didn't. That's how they found her body. (laughs) So yeah. So we did forget to mention one kind of super key pivotal point that she went to fuck with the lawyer who represented Alexander Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was on sabbatical and she showed up ready to enact her plan. And what she saw was a, a broken man who extremely remorseful recognized that he had ruined so many lives. And he told her, we got a bonus for everything that settled out of court. We got a bonus for every time this happened. We got a bonus, essentially every horrible thing that uh, a lawyer could do, you get a bonus for it because it means that you're saving the company money and you're getting your client out of a pickle. Yep. So he admitted to online stalking her, using things from her past in this lawsuit to threatening her to just doing all of this stuff until she was just so defeated that they dropped the lawsuit. And he said, I haven't slept in days. I've, this is my fault. I should have never done this. And he, he showed remorse. He showed regret. He owned his actions And when she left, she had somebody waiting outside that I assume was going to do something along the lines of what she did to Madeline, um, that she said, you don't need to do that. So what we find out at the end is prior to going up to this bachelor party house, she had mailed the phone that had the video on it to that lawyer, along with a note that said, I am going to this bachelor party at this place on this day. If anything happens to me, you need to look there. This is who did it. And she also had scheduled some text messages to send out to people who were involved after the fact, just in case. So she, what's so devastating about this movie amongst all the things it's a really tough brutal movie to watch but i also think it's kind of important even though it's dramatized you're welcome yes do you see what trauma does to people and how it impacts her life that she was willing to die to punish people that were the attackers and like get that revenge so like obvious like from the moment she had that relationship with dr dude before we knew he was a piece of shit i was like this is never gonna work she hasn't gone to therapy she hasn't worked through this she's carrying so much trauma she's not like trying to get past the trauma she's not she's just stuck 
but these things damage you. These things ruin you. They ruin lives. So to say you open yourself up to these vulnerabilities. So like if I go out and get drunk and someone rapes me, I set myself up to ruin my life. No. uh uh-uh. So I just, I don't know. It, it's just so heartbreaking to see someone like how much trauma is the weight, like how much trauma there is. Well, and, and it becomes all consuming, all consuming. She could not escape it. She could not, she was so fixated on, on it. And it seemed like, like we saw that she went back and visited Nina's mom and Nina's mom said, Molly Shannon, you have to stop coming here. This is not doing anything good for you. This is not doing anything good for Nina. Like you have to move on with your life. Mm-hmm. So there were these cries for help that watching it from the outside, you see, but the people that were receiving the cries for help, were not receiving them as such. Yeah. The, the other thing that I struggled with was, was she trying to get revenge or was she trying to get justice? Or was it somewhere in between? What would you define justice as versus revenge? Revenge seems like the more personal thing. Like she is going to do this to validate herself and her how it made her feel and how it affected her life versus Justice would be more of a focus of I am doing this to ensure that the people who did this to my friend are held accountable. Hmm. But she, also, I don't know if that's accurate or not. Which well, is, by your definitions here, claiming them as accurate, I would say she. I mean, teetered. it's web, It's in Webster's dictionary. Yeah, so. uh, she she teetered. She teetered on that line. Okay, that's kind of where I landed too. Two birds, one stone. How would you rate promising young woman as it relates to consent? So I struggle because the first portion of the movie dealt with a a lot with consent. The second portion dealt hardly none at all with consent and more with just like the aftermath and the trauma of what happens when consent is not respected. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with seven chicks because the portions where they did have that as the focus, unfortunately seem pretty accurate. Mm. Um, but then a lot of it just kind of didn't, we didn't get to see the aftermath of what happened to the person whose consent was not respected. Like we didn't get to see that full journey. We heard about it. But I think that seeing the face, the, the actual face of the person who is dealing with it would have been helpful. Because in the abstract, she got raped, she killed herself, ruined her life, ruined her friend's life. But seeing it, seeing that firsthand, seeing the experience, I think would have further beefed up the reality of the detrimental things this can do to people. What about you? I think I'm going to give it a 
five out of 10 chicks. I think that if we like the first 20 minutes, as we were talking about is hardcore, like that's consent. That's, that's, you know, um, what happens scarily. Um, I think I do like that they show how it can affect more than just the actual victim. Like we can also like it, it is a, like it spreads, um, and impacts everybody emotionally. But I agree. I think if the emphasis was put on the victim rather than, um, the friend that was out to seek revenge, it kind of made it into like more of a thriller movie than it did the actual. I was getting what's the JLo movie. Which one? Oh, enough. One we, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of more like that. It, it became more of a thriller. And I mm-hmm. think that that's what steered it and the way that it went. But yeah. I will never forget that bedroom scene. Um, just of how powerless someone can be when they've given no as consent. Yeah. Um, so five out of 10 chicks. Um, would I recommend someone watching it? Yes. But know that like, it's going to be tough to watch. Yeah. 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 Um, now, some closing notes that were not appropriate in the discussion at the time, but I have a broken brain and it protects itself through humor. So when you said she took the groom to the room, I was like, this is a fucking Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> Dr. Seuss talks about consent. <laughs> and every time you said smothered, I, my brain went scattered and covered. Let's go to Waffle House. (laughs) (laughs) All star. And I'm an awful person. So anyways, for more awful things like that, from the mind of LJ, follow us on all the socials at chick shit pod, except for Facebook. Cause Zuck sucks. We are chick stuff pod on Facebook. Uh, New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Die. What am I missing? If you have capacity to leave us a review and you're consenting to leave us a review. Um, we do not want to coerce you. No. <laughs> oh, if you no. are of legal age to agree to Apple's terms of service. Terms and condition to leave yeah. a review. Yes. Good, good call. Uh, please do so. Uh, we appreciate you. Until next time. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. You've been listening to Chick Shit. We hope this episode has pushed you just enough to lose a little faith in the media's veneer and gain some useful knowledge to help navigate the day-to-day nonsense that we women contend with. For resources and general mischief, follow on Instagram and Twitter at ChickShitPod or get in touch by email at ChickShitPod at gmail.com. To help others find the show, please like and subscribe. And if you know a woman who might appreciate two new friends and a good dose of laughter, please share this podcast. Until next time, keep it real.